Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city. Hello, everyone. God bless you. This is Susan Puzio. And I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News Radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. And uh, we have a very special guest for you today. Uh, we'll be talking with Rich Vermillion. Of uh, his website is KennethCopelandBlog.com. So uh, get ready. It should be a very informative program. And uh, we'll be playing it again on Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Prophecy Zone network on Blog Talk Radio. So if you want to uh, tune in again. Also, uh, we have a live call-in number if you'd like to. Or the show is live today if you'd like to call in. If you have a question for Rich, and the call-in number is 914-338-1638. And also, the chat room is open if you'd like to uh, join in. I'll be checking the chat room throughout the hour. So we'll be uh, live for 60 minutes today. Also, I wanted to uh, make you aware of our website, propheticnews.com, and... Our YouTube channel, Jonah, T for Tom, 48. Uh, We have those ministry tools available to you for your growth in the Lord. And uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, your eyes can be opened. You can enjoy the freedom that we all that know Jesus Christ as our Savior enjoy Uh, the uh, promise of eternal life, of uh, a home in heaven. All your sins can be washed away. You can be born again today by asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. And he will do that, and you will become a new creation, and old things will pass away, and behold, all things will become new. And uh, I noticed a a very interesting quote from uh, Rich Vermillion's website. Uh, This is a quote from Kenneth Copeland, blog.com. And he's referring to Kenneth Copeland, calling on the man, his family, his alleged ministry, plus his many other self-serving wolf friends to simply repent and get saved. <laughs> I said, wow, that is some strong language. So uh, our our guest is bold, and uh, he's not afraid to uh, stand up for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it should be very interesting. Um, I also want to uh, mention to you a few other of my favorite programs on Blog Talk Radio, uh, the Prophecy Zone Network, and uh, they have uh, some great programs there, Phil Armstrong and uh, Christine Wick and Brenda Johnson and myself are on the Prophecy Zone Network. Also, uh, Church Folk Revolution, Uh, you can tune in on Blog Talk Radio Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to uh, their program. I think you'll enjoy all these ministries so very much. And uh, God is raising up a people who won't bow the knee to uh, fame and fortune, who have refused to sell out. And uh, we have dedicated ourselves to spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he has done so much for us. We can never 
repay him for how he's changed our lives. I could never repay him for how he's changed my life and made something beautiful of my life, Uh, a life that was hopeless and worthless basically over uh, 30 years ago when I got down on my knees in Redstone, Colorado and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and to save me and uh, to forgive me and to make himself real to me. And he did. And I must say, it is a wonderful life because you will be, you will go from darkness into light. And uh, there's nothing like knowing that there is a God who loves you, who forgives you, and, uh, you know, there's so many people out there that they want to uh, denigrate Christians and denigrate the Word of God, but that's because they don't know. They've never been born again. They've never experienced the love of God for themselves. So I must say to all you that are listening, if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and uh, you think uh, Christianity is foolish, Christians are, are foolish, then uh, you need to try it because uh, you'll never go back to your old life. I guarantee you that. You will never want your old life back again. So uh, I see that my guest is on the line. We're going to bring the, my guest on right now. Rich Vermillion. Hi, Rich. Hi, Susan. Am I coming through okay? I'm doing great. (laughs) Yeah, you sound good. You sound good. I I must say that I was pleasantly surprised a few months back when I was searching the Internet for some information about uh, Kenneth Copeland, and I found your blog, and... uh, I, I was very impressed with the information and with your heartfelt sincerity. Um, Thank you. And so I wanted to ask you now um, about your blog. It's kennethcopelandblog.com. And how did you come to uh, set up this blog? Well, Initially, uh, of course, I, I met and worked with Ken Copeland. We, my wife and I were partners with Ken Copeland Ministries for 17 years, and the last couple years of which we were um, uh, affiliated with Eagle Mountain International Church, members there, and and I ended up working with Ken Copeland on a, a, a book project that uh, uh, was totally um, our baby in the, in the sense that we wrote it, but I worked with him and interviewed him. He, he went through the manuscript and things like that. Uh, the book's called Angel Flight 44. It is no longer on the market uh, new, but there are uh, many used copies available on Amazon because there's over 78,000 copies in print. Uh, wow. But uh, And it did win a, an Angel Award from Excellence in Media, so it's, it's a good book. But um, the book promised, based on public statements that Copeland made and, uh, and things that he said to me in the uh, private interviews that we taped and, and uh, transcribed into the book and different things. The book promised that they were already had already started a new uh, aviation ministry to help in times of disaster because of their experience with the Hurricane Katrina relief missions that they did in uh, 2005, and that they were planning to develop this into a, a full-blown international uh, disaster relief. Uh, to work with other agencies like Operation Blessing and things like that, but just simply to provide aircraft when they were needed, Uh, everything from uh, the Super DC-3 that was used in the original missions to aircraft that could land on water, helicopters, whatever. And the book promised all this. We published it through our own publishing company, and uh, and it started doing well, of course, and there was a lot of public statements. Copeland did some partner letters to – and different things that his Believer's Voice of Victor magazine, raising funds into their general fund of their ministry, saying, hey, when you're a partner with us, then you're a partner with our new aviation ministry too. And So they're raising all this money, but yeah. after about six months after the book had come out, they were doing absolutely nothing 
with this new ministry that they had uh, promised to the world. And uh, so I started dealing privately with Glenn Hyde, the pilot of those missions, and who was supposed to be the leader of that new ministry, um, and uh, and then tried to deal with him and, you know, let's get this thing going. What are you guys doing? After a while, I started becoming the squeaky wheel that was irritating them, and they uh, went out of their way to try to kind of push me away from uh, oh, ostracize yeah. me out of things. Yes. And then finally, um, literally I was attacked by uh, Glenn Hyde, uh, I believe that uh, under orders from Kenneth Copeland to get rid of me, and yeah. uh, he he did a, a personal uh, defamation campaign against us and our company, and and it was this big crazy thing, and including even going after our uh, vendors for our company, uh, telling wow. them that we were marketing illegal copies of the book and crazy stuff wow. like that. <laughs> it was That's insane. terrible. Wow, that doesn't sound like love. I mean, the Copelands are always talking about love, and yeah. that doesn't sound like Christian love to me. No, there, there's, uh, you know, I've got a whole page on com in the introduction section called The Convenient Doctrines of Preachers and Sin. Oh, and yeah. uh, that's one of those categories where they take a doctrine and twist it totally out of biblical context and apply it as a shield, something to hide behind. And that's exactly what they do. Their application of love is, you love us. <laughs> yeah, we don't necessarily <laughs> love you. Yeah. But, but I we found it very, very bold of you because it's not easy, especially someone like yourself that knew Kenneth and worked with him. You, you wrote this book. And then it, it, you went to the church and you had all these friends. And, of course, it's a very exclusive circle to be in. And then um, you have to take a stand for righteousness. And, of course, Mm -hmm. you're going to be made to look like the bad person. uh, Because even if Kenneth Copeland's doing something wrong, the people around him and even uh, his partners, they never want to admit that he's doing anything wrong. Correct. And and so it's it's a very uh, funny situation to be in. But I imagine that it wasn't easy for you and your family to have to go through this? No, absolutely not. You know, we, we're we driven by a passion for the Word of God and a love for Jesus. And, and because of that, uh, integrity, uh, we're not perfect people, but integrity and, and adherence to truth and certain principles uh, that uh, Jesus taught, of course, are, uh, you know, very precious to us. And when they were kind of, you know, pulling in money and then, <laughs> acting like they had never said anything and going on about their business, um, that really uh, struck a chord with us. We couldn't we couldn't deal with that. So when we started trying to get things going and they tried to push us out of there um, instead of running off, because like you said, there's there's it's a cult like yeah. circle and air around them. You yeah. have you have the closer circles to them who are looking for favors and handouts because. They think the Copelands are their key to success in ministry and life. Yes. And, you know, it's it's he's he's their uh, you know sacred cow. They pray to him. You know, expect yes. doors to open and stuff. I know what and you're then, talking about. <laughs> and then when you go out a little bit from that circle, you got these followers who just think God is going to bless them. In fact, that one guy that's still on staff over there, who I've known for years, um, staff of the uh, pastoral staff at the church. Um, you know, we were joking around, and you know, he's. I said, "What's up?" or something, and he said something about the Earth is still spinning. And I said, "Well, uh, hopefully it won't stop, or we'd have a real problem." And he said, "Yeah, I'd have to call Kenneth to uh, see what's going on." You know, and yeah. that's that, that, that attitude. He was joking, but it's an attitude that he's the prophet. He's the yeah. source of information. Everything yeah. comes through him, yeah. which is totally contrary to the New Testament. Oh, and so yeah. you have that air and that atmosphere and you've got these people that you know who obviously in retrospect you know they they were wanting to get to know me because i knew kenneth right but now that i'm turned now that kenneth's turned on me and i'm no longer in the good old boy club now i'm persona non grata and things oh, like yes. that and you find out I who your friends are oh absolutely because it's all about you know this uh it's almost like a hollywoodish kind of who you know yes, kind of it thing is. yeah exactly on. Yeah, and it's so that same I old just, political game 
And uh, I, I find it very offensive in the ministry, especially. Sure. Well, genuine ministers and preachers of God who have genuine anointings and genuine revelation and are genuinely passionate about the kingdom and the things of God are also very meek men, like Moses. You know, they're very meek, and they're, they don't really want people uh, doing that with them. They, they avoid people trying to fall down and worship them. You know, Peter freaked out when Cornelius fell at his yeah. feet. He said, he said, get up. I'm a man too, That's man. It. But, but I've watched people grovel around Copeland, so to speak, and and he just you know acts like that's normal. <laughs> you know, yeah. Something well, they seriously like wrong with that. Yeah, they like it. They've grown oh, to like it. So. But well, I mean, thank God for the them. internet because they can't they can't get away with things uh, anymore the way they used to because God made this avenue for people to. Uh, let things be made known to bring things to light. And so uh, I was very yeah. glad to uh, see your blog. But about the uh, about then uh, what happened with the angel flight, what exactly did happen with that? They, they well, just decided they weren't going to do it and they never gave back the money that they raised? Correct. What they did was this, and this is this – is, you have to understand how cunning these people are, not just the Copelands, but, uh, but you know, this whole class of people that, you know, claim to be super anointed preachers or whatever, and they're all over TV yeah. and radio. They're, you know, the dumber ones usually get exposed earlier on. The ones that have been around for a while are extremely cunning. And yeah. they and they they work for look you know look for the loopholes and they work around in a certain sphere. So what they did was this. It's um, they had originally told me Copeland did actually sitting in his office that they would put a banner on their website shooting them to the new angelflight44.com website that I that a friend and I were helping to get up and going for on behalf of this new ministry that's supposedly going. And uh, instead, they put a banner on their homepage for a generic relief fund, out of which absolutely no money that I'm aware of, except perhaps recently in 2010, went toward that aircraft or anything else pertaining to it. And most of their donation, donor recruitment uh, contributions that came in were done in general offerings that would go into their general fund. Therefore, no accounting has to be done of it. So what they were doing is using this as a carrot to tug on heartstrings, a little bit like the old, uh, you know, show pictures of our of our little feed the hungry children in Africa yeah. kind of thing, and then everybody gives to their ministry to help them do this project. But it's not earmarked for that project; it goes into their general fund. That general fund funds, you know, pretty much the operations of the whole place, but it also funds their salaries, <laughs> it funds their mansion, oh. it funds their jet aircraft. You know, in other words, they're, they're used it as a carrot to pull in, you know, what a great ministry we are, pull, you know, contribute to us and you're a part of this. Once these funds come in, which I rep, what I estimate to have been between 2 to $4 million by the end of wow. uh, 2008, um, once the, and I, by the way, I have a certificate in financial management from Cornell University. So when I do an estimate, I actually know a little bit yeah. about what I'm doing when I make an estimate. Yeah. So, so, uh, so they pull these funds in, and then, boom, nothing. It's it's like this thing never existed. It's never mentioned before. It's never on uh, talked about publicly. It's just wow. it's like it never existed. And the thing that really amazed me was when the uh, uh, late 2007, when the Senator Grassley Senate Finance Committee uh, cranked up their investigation, and I read the original letter he sent to the Copelands, he discussed uh, how they acquired that property at Eagle Mountain in the first place. And it was exactly the same uh, scenario. They made brochures and promised all this stuff. They were going to build a hotel. They were going to build a healing center, uh, a retirement community. They are even going to have wow. a like a theme park there that would have these robotic things like Disney World has of of the great preachers of times past like Smith Wigglesworth, you know, preaching a sermon, you know, and all yeah. this kind of crazy stuff. And after 
they do that to get a serious discount from the guy that, that they were buying the uh, Mr. Pewitt that they were buying the property from, and to raise all this money for it. He dies. They end up, you know, eventually getting the property from his estate, you know, when they finish buying it off, and then they never do all this extra stuff. Wow. <laughs> Not one bit of it. It's never mentioned again. It never was mentioned again publicly ever until Senator Grassley brought the issue up. That's so amazing. They, they, and that's back in the late 70s, early yeah. 80s that that occurred. Uh-huh. So we're talking about a 35-plus year history of them making bold public promises, sucking money into their general fund, and then not carrying through and acting like they had never said it. Well, so much for living by faith because uh, uh, I, I've known of the, of the Copelands since I first got saved in 1981, so... Uh, I remember that they always said they ne- they didn't make a big deal about fundraising. They didn't ask for money because they they just lived by faith. But the whole thing is really a farce. It really is. It really is because what they live by is sal- high salaries, perks, benefits. They don't live by faith. Uh, they they live by mansions and jet. I mean, all this stuff comes through their general fund. It's it's sort of like. Um, uh, you know, saying, uh, you know, talking about, in fact, Copeland's done this. Uh, I'm honest because I teach on integrity. And, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that that doesn't mean, you know, all that proves is that you know how you should act. It doesn't mean you're actually doing that. And that he's actually got whole book series and things like that he's done on integrity. Uh, but and, and that was a fascinating thing because when I got up inside that ministry and saw things behind the scenes, I'm like, this doesn't match the book. <laughs> right, right. But I, I've seen a few of those things myself, and yeah. uh, so I know what you're talking about. But one, you, you're talking about uh, how they raise money behind the scenes. I, the one article that your wife wrote I found so interesting about John Copeland's inheritance. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell the listeners a little bit about these private meetings that they have that are very exclusive yeah, there's uh, every January there's a three-day ministers' conference. It's an invitation-only event that occurs right there at uh, at their you know compound there at Eagle Mountain, and uh, essentially uh, the people that get invited are people who are obviously ministers and who have been sending money into Kenicopa Ministries from their ministry and therefore got on the radar screen. And after a period of time of sending money in, then they say, hey, why don't you come join us at this? And they send an invitation to them. And uh, the last one we attended, we attended the first one was in 2002 that we were invited for. And, of course, you know, ooh, we got invited to this thing. We didn't even yeah. know they existed until we got the invitation oh. because they're, they're, they're not even advertised. Nobody even knows they exist because they don't ever mention them publicly. It's totally a very private, exclusive thing. Yeah. Um, there's no, you won't ever see it mentioned in the Believer's Voice of Victory magazine. You're not going to ever hear it mentioned at a convention because it's only by invitation only. And so we got our first one, and we, ooh, you know, and we went every yeah. year. I went every year. Donna couldn't go every year, but I went every year. Um, and our last one was 2007, where they gave away copies of the brand new Angel Flight 44 book. That was the debut uh, release of it, and they gave that to oh. all the ministers there. So, uh, but that also happened to be the 40th anniversary year of Kenneth and Gloria Copeland being in ministry and yada, yada, yada. And what happened is uh, prior to that event, um, Kenneth's son, John, and and Cruffalo Dollar supposedly put together their heads and schemed and and were going to raise this special gift for Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. And uh, and uh, most of the mailing list, of course, was KCM mailing list going out, the uh, minister list. And uh, but the uh, Creflo Dollars bunch actually sent the letter out, real nice parchment letter and all this kind of stuff. And they sent this out trying to solicit contributions to give them a personal financial gift. And um, you know everything's all oh we got to honor the man and woman. Oh and yes, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And they managed to raise. Uh, just over a million dollars by the time the wow. Thursday night last session of this minister's conference rolled around. 
He, Creflo jumps up there. Supposedly this is a surprise for the Kenneth and Gloria, which we just kind of assume it is since we haven't heard otherwise, but you got to wonder at times. But they get up there and they start this big presentation and all this stuff, and then they take up more. They, we're going to do another offering right here on the spot. And they bring out uh, a couple KCM employees with credit card machines. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. They actually brought us, set them up a table. Oh, you can, my you can word. Bring, you could put cash or a check on the oh, altar dear. kind of deal, or you could go over to the side over there where two KCM employees were sitting there with credit card machines to put it on your credit or debit card. Oh, no. And and they raised supposedly a little over two million in total oh, uh, no. as a part of this. And after they do all this, uh, at one point in the session, which we have on video, my wife reviewed the video again to uh, make sure she had this part. Uh, that she didn't misquote anything. Um, uh, John and uh, Creflo are back up there on the platform, and they and, and John turns to Creflo and says, "I'll uh, I'll uh, thank you for all your help and everything that you're doing." Of course, Donna's got the exact quote in that article, but you know, thank you for all your help in doing all this. And he says, "I'll share my inheritance with you." <laughs> yeah. No, no words. He he was looking beyond. Old, well, Kenneth and Gloria, but what he's going to end up after the after the fact sometime oh, down the road. Sure. And Donna put all the details in it, but it's uh, but you know it's like oh yeah, like Creflo's children are starving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Gl- well, he's got he a butler. Uh, I think I don't know. He's got a butler and cooks and and all kinds of things. Uh, these guys live really good. So tell us about the reaction. Uh, how did Kenneth and Gloria react when they got this wonderful love offering? Yeah, well, you know, they they tried to do the old smiling, oh, you know, humble kind of laughing, oh, you oh. know. And, <laughs> and um, you know, Gloria, she's up there, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Nobody's ever given us this much money before. Oh. She was boo-hooey and kind of teary and all that. And looking back on it, Donna basically said she was probably think, <laughs> thinking in her heart, ooh, shopping money, you know, for I know. one of these little shopping excursions in Florida that she likes to do with the Citation 10 jet, you know. So, it, it you know, they're t- I mean, I, I think in a real human sense, no matter who you are, no matter what your integrity level or, or, or motives, if somebody did something like that and gave you $2 million, it probably would move you emotionally. Oh, uh, yeah. But the thing about it is is that we all had uh, in our hearts and, and minds an understanding of what we thought the Copelands were all about. We thought they would be offended that such a thing was done for them personally yeah. and, and yeah. done with their ministry mailing list and things of that nature. But they just sucked it all in. Oh, you know, whoo, you know, and he was all happy yeah. about it. How about uh, how about uh, like you said, you would think that they would be offended by such a gesture and say, "Well, let's take this money and use it to uh, feed some poor people. We have enough. We don't. We uh, we have how how many millions of dollars worth of jet airplanes do they own? Oh goodness, the the Citation Ten is about twenty million in and of itself, and then you got uh, I, I don't know what all they have there now, but they have a Citation Bravo. I've been up in their hangar several times. They had an old Gulf Stream. They got a lot of aircraft there, and I don't know what they've added or, or subtracted from the inventory since I was last allowed now, do, on the property. Do Kenneth and Gloria <laughs> both have their own jets? Well, no, they they share. You know, Gloria just rides in whatever Kenneth wants to fly. <laughs> when it falls down to Kenneth, is, you know, yeah. he always wants to be in the cockpit or whatever, and I'm I'm not sure he's always in the cockpit. Sometimes I'm sure he's in the back, but uh, you know she's just riding around wherever he wants to go. But the Citation 10 is their primary jet. Now the Citation Bravo, which for a while they gave away to Billy Brim's ministry. Um, oh, they did. Case. Oh, yeah, they, wow. They gave it. They donated. So that's an interesting little side story too. That's not in the media. I'll give you a little exclusive on that. They had this Citation Bravo, and I don't know how long they've had it. They bought that, from what I understand, and they gave it to um, uh, Billy Brim once they got the Citation 10. Well, you know, that might be one of the reasons why the video of, of them receiving the Citation 10, Billy seems all excited because he's probably thinking, good, I get to fly home in the Bravo. But um, she couldn't afford that thing. <laughs> it was wearing yeah. her out. So after about a year, 
she donates it back, you know, because she don't want to offend the Copelands by selling it off, you know, after they give it to her. So she donates it back. So when the Grassley investigation popped up and asked about it, they said, oh, this was donated to us. <laughs> well, that's a half truth. It was donated back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Billy Brim's ministry is nowhere near taking in the kind of money that uh, the Copelands are taking in. So, of course, she couldn't no. afford that. Oh, no, she couldn't afford it at all. And, and she was, you know, she was all enamored with it at first until she realized how much those things cost to run and operate and maintain. So, yeah, that was, she She just donated that animal right on back to him. I've actually heard of others in the so-called prosperity circles that have done similar things, you know, because that's like a, that's like a, a coming of age kind of thing in those circles when you've got your jet and you're jetting oh, around. Oh yeah, and, uh, I've heard of a few of them that got them and couldn't afford them and sent them back. Well, of course, <laughs> they're very, like you said, they're very expensive to afford. So that they have to keep, uh, they have to have some kind of uh, keep those con games going, and uh, yeah. the false prosperity messages, messages that they promote to keep going to try to manipulate people to give them money, like you said. At one time years ago, remember when the preachers were trying to get people away from using their credit cards and getting into debt, and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden they realized that it was a good way to get money, so they quit talking mm-hmm. about it. And now, they, like That's you true. said, they even have the machines in the in the meetings. Oh yeah, uh, there's there's a there's an expression you probably heard it since you're a Rama grad. Fake it till you make it. You remember that yeah. expression? Yeah, that was real big in the in the in the Word of Faith preacher circles. You know, fake your prosperity because if you're going to preach prosperity to raise money, you got to look like you have it. So you got yeah. to fake it till you make it. So they had run up debt and credit cards, trying to look prosperous, nice. Oh lots, yes, nice yes. Well, you know, so many people. I I what I didn't attend Rama, but I worked with uh, Norval Hayes Ministries. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, so I mean, I, got, I had I, first worked with his ministry in Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, so I have. Uh, real good knowledge about what you're talking about, but most of us did do that. I mean, we claim to be living by faith, but yet uh, we weren't really living by faith at all. It takes, <laughs> it takes, it takes a lot of faith to live, <laughs> to live by oh, faith. And, well, uh, the reality just, is genuine living by faith, which my wife and I have done for years, because when we first called in the ministry, we were called with nothing, and we trusted God. We actually took the teachings that we had uh, received from these different guys, uh, mostly meditating scripture. We weren't just doing it because Hagen or Copeland or somebody said it. We did it because we saw, you know, principles in the scripture where Paul would just, you know, here he is shipwrecked. What's he going to do, you know? <laughs> you know, he yeah. had to trust God, you know? Right. And we see it from Genesis to Revelation, and we learn how to live by faith. And we've seen his provisional miracles Time and time and time and time again, we That's just right. moved. We just did an international move here, which is why you and I took forever to get scheduled to do this interview. Uh, but my wife and I just did an international move, and we saw one miracle after another. And we and we didn't. You can't find anywhere on my websites where it mentions uh, a love offering for our move. You can't find right. it. <laughs> right. In right. fact, you have to look real hard to find on two of my four websites. You would have to search hard to find our donation and we don't even have a button we just put a little little very modest link down there kind of hit it because we're not out there we don't want to be grouped with these guys we actually pray and trust god right and and then there's times in ministry where i had to do some tent making to make up the difference i'm not sure. afraid to go out and get a job if i needed to sure. well you, know, you have to do what you have to do but I mean, who wants to sell the gospel it's despicable you then you wind up correct you wind you you wind up like the Copelands, and uh, I I I thought that the statement that you made on your blog, it was such a bold statement that you said that uh, you wish that his um, alleged ministry plus his many other self-serving wolf friends <laughs> to simply repent and get saved. I'm like, wow, now that is a bold statement. Well, it's interesting. When we first started this, when we realized these people are have or do not have the integrity, and they're not do they're not what we thought they were, 
and uh, we in, in public or private confrontations were getting nowhere with them, which included showing up at their front door with a box full of legal documents and stuff and having their security signed for it, which really freaked them out. They were not expecting that type of bold response from me. Instead of running away like most people did, I showed up at the front door with with these you know legal documents and everything, and they were like, whoa. So they really hit from me then because they're, they're really they, they portray themselves as very bold and courageous, but they're cowards. Yeah. They're, they're just total cowards. So when we realized where they were, uh, that they were not what we thought they were, and we started that blog um, back in uh, October 2008, very very modestly, by the way. It didn't have all the stuff that's popular. I didn't fully populate it with the type of content that's on there now until 2010. When we started it, we were of the opinion, a uh, false opinion, that these guys had just gone bad in recent years, you know, kind of thing. They, yeah. they were probably people of great integrity years ago, but – They've kind of gotten off over the last few years, and now I'm seeing, you know, maybe over the last 10 years they've kind of gotten off in different degrees. But with the blog and getting out there so boldly trying to confront the one issue of Angel Flight 44, that attracted a lot of ex-employees and, and other whistleblowers to us who gave us documented evidence, like, for example, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the the whole wisdom or revival capital of the world fiasco that they did to acquire that property back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, somebody actually sent me the actual brochure. I've got an actual copy. I don't have it posted on the web yet, but I actually have documents. I've got real estate documents. So as people like that started coming up and bringing me this stuff, I started realizing more and more these people are nuts, and they've always been nuts. They just hit yeah. it so good and, and yeah. really pulled one over. And I started to realize that they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, it's it's custom-tailored sheep's clothing. <laughs> That's why I didn't detect it so quick. It's very but I custom. Started real, very <laughs> custom. Very custom-tailored. I mean, very custom, man. You know, they got this thing just great, you know. And, and it, it, they just really are very smooth operators. And I started to realize that. I started to re then have to wake up to the fact that these guys are nuts. So I started studying back on their doctrine, started going back through this, yeah. going through that. And eventually got to the point where I realized I don't believe these people were ever born again. I just don't. I think exactly. in the case of Copeland, I think the guy's a Freemason. Um, and I've got pretty now, good what proof, evidence to support that. What proof that. do you have that he is a Freemason? Because I've heard that before. Do you have well, any documents? Well, the obvious one, of course, is uh, uh, there's several things. Now, I can't take a smoking gun of him, you know, a photograph of him being hoodwinked in his initiation rites in the 50s or something, you know. I mean, there's no smoking gun evidence like that. But there are several things. Uh, the number one obvious one is his doctrine. He takes, uh, he learned most of his doctrine from other people, uh, Kennedy Hagan uh, being one of them. But you'll notice there's always a twist and a difference in his he he de deifies man in his yes. doctrine, yes. while at the same time humanizing God. Yes. Um, so that is a common trait, and there's a lot of different weird false prophecies he's given through the years that I've come to find out about in more recent time. And, and when you look at his doctrine and these things, you see evidence of Freemasonry in his thinking because of the deistic you know, belief system that these people have. Second, uh, fairly obvious uh, evidence that he's a Freemason is the fact that he hangs out with so many of them. A lot of his known circle, for example, Pat Robertson, are known documented Freemasons. He appeared on the cover of Time magazine in, I think it was February 1984, doing a Masonic I remember claw that hand signal, yeah. It's a, it's a high-level Masonic sign to all his Masonic friends out there. I want you guys support my presidential candidacy. That's why yeah. he's running for president. So, and that's a buddy of his. And there's others that are uh, like Dan Stratton out of New York, who's a member of the Skull and Bones. He's an admitted, publicly admitted member. He's said that not only in the 700s Club with Pat Robertson in April 2008, but in the New York Times um, in uh, I think it was December of 2007 he was interviewed. And they make the mention in the New York Times article that uh, he said a lot of, the, the writer of the article said a lot of Christians have a problem with it because of its satanic connotations. Well, it's not just satanic connotations. It's a, it is an, it's a satanic cult. So how can a guy be a, a member in good standing in a satanic cult uh, 
yeah. and a Christian at the same time, and he's yeah. supposedly preaching the gospel in the middle of their meetings, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's, these are these are Copeland's buddies, and birds of a feather flock together. If he could be so comfortable hanging out with these guys, then that would tend to uh, <laughs> you know indicate that he must be one of them. And then the other big thing is, is, and this is huge, if you go to the Copeland website and their FAQ page, they answer the question, you know, among the questions people ask, is Kenneth Copeland a Freemason? And a staff minister writes this thing. And he says, oh, no, no, Copeland's not a Freemason. And he goes into this thing about Albert Pike and all this other kind of wild stuff on there. And, and it sounds very plausible because he's writing this stuff and how dangerous Freemasonry is and all this kind of stuff. sounds real good, except that you step back and look at the fact that Kenneth Copeland did not say that. A guy on a staff who was told to write that said that. And yeah. it's interesting when you compare that section with other sections on that FAQ page, in the other sections they quote Copeland saying at such and such meeting or in such and such partner letter or in such and such Believer's Voice of Magazine, he said this. They never do that under the Freemason thing. There is no public record of Kenneth Copeland ever saying he's not a Freemason. There's no public record of him ever denouncing Freemasonry. And considering how widespread that opinion is about him, the fact that he's been so silent on it is a screaming admonition that he is one. Yeah. So those are, those are the main things that I've got. When you look at his doctrine, his associations, and his silence on the personal silence, uh, the fact that they cannot cite any, not even one personal example of him denouncing or renouncing it, and then you ha and of course if you know anything about Freemasonry, they swear blood oaths to have their throats cut if they tell anything. So yeah, oh. in the fact that <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the fact that they swore not to ever tell anybody, even to the point of lying about it. Uh, and it's not hard to put together a good uh, uh, case that he's most likely one. And at this point, the burden of proof is on him from a biblical standpoint to, to, to do something to prove that he's not one when there's so much evidence that he is one. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting the uh, the amount of false teaching, like you said, how Kenneth Copeland tries to deify man and humanize God, and actually, he, I think he actually made the statement that Jesus had to be born again. <laughs> yeah, that that is insane. Um, yeah. There is a lot of controversy um, around the, the whole, did Jesus go to hell thing. I don't have a problem with G, the with the doctrine that Jesus went to hell for our redemption as taught by John Bunyan, John Calvin, and others who actually believe that, that that was a part of his suffering for our redemption, that he paid the eternal penalty for at least a portion of his of during the time he was dead. If you read what those guys wrote about it, it's very plausible, biblical, and a good foundation. But what Copeland did was he took that thing and twisted it up. Now he's got Jesus' needs to get born again. <laughs> well, yeah. no, that he can't be God and yeah. be needing to be born again. <laughs> You know, he's the person of God, the second person right. of the Trinity. He does not need to be born again, you yes. know. And, and But from back in 86, I found out that he actually prophesied, supposedly speaking, you know, a prophecy, speaking, you know, Jesus speaking through him. Copeland prophesied um, on behalf of Jesus, supposedly, that uh, he said, uh, well, when I was walking the earth, I didn't say I was God. I just said you should worship God. And that got out, wow. and, and a minister, I don't remember his name. I just found out about him recently. But another minister tried to confront him. A minister that's an expert on cults tried to confront him and even arranged a meeting with him through Paul Crouch, and Copeland backed out of it. And when the controversy really got out public, Copeland just came out and said, oh, well, he hates me and my ministry, and yeah. he just he just doesn't like, you know, and it, it gets into that convenient doctrine of preachers and sin thing. And um, just a few years later, that particular minister happened to die, so that took the pressure off of Copeland. But, uh, but he's a known heretic. Copeland is a, a, the very... The very basis of his, he's famous for the prosperity gospel. And in its essence, when you 
compare that with the book of Acts, how the gospel was presented. You compare that with what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 about the, any other gospel that's presented as such is not a gospel if it doesn't agree with what the apostles taught and preached. Um, the very fact that he even calls it a gospel is you know, proof positive that he's a heretic. But then you throw in all these other little things that were conveniently swept under the rug years ago, and you realize this guy has always been a nutcase. But like you said earlier, the Internet. <laughs> it's bringing yeah. a lot of this thing out, whereas he yeah. could kind of hide from it years ago until oh, things come down. Oh, years ago, yeah, because if, if if you weren't somebody famous, uh, and you said anything about what they were teaching, oh, they would uh, badmouth you and, and then you know throw you out of the church or or uh, say you're a troublemaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they could try to um, get by then. Because there, right. there wasn't a big voice out there. You couldn't say anything Correct. and get anyone to really listen to you. Uh, but now God's opened up this wonderful way of the Internet where, no, they can't hide anymore, and they have to be called to task on their doctrine. Because if you're going to preach the gospel, if you're going to teach the Bible, then you have to read it and you have to know what it <laughs> says. Oh, yeah. If you're going to call yourself a uh, Bible teacher, you have to at least oh, yeah. know it. But tell the uh, listeners a little bit about the uh, wealth of the Copelands, about their house, about the uh, about their children, uh, the salaries. Well, we we know. I mean, obviously, I wasn't sitting there in the accounting department watching them issue checks or something for them. But <laughs> but and I've never been to their actual house. I have been to his real office, not the one that they have up. Up. He's got two offices. There's one up in the main headquarters building. That's sort of looks like a little shrine almost, you know, and he rarely sees that because he doesn't go up to that building very often at all. Uh, his real office is down in the, in the airplane hangar down down at the airport, and that's where I spent most of my time with him, either there or up inside the hangar somewhere looking at the airplanes. Um, and uh, uh, But they've got, I mean, just, just to even have the aircraft that has, being in, being in aviation ain't cheap. And then when you've got a state-of-the-art uh, hangar with, uh, with their own uh, aircraft paint facility and repair and full-time uh, <laughs> repair crews and stuff like that. I mean, just that overhead of that is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and, the, the, and they use the planes just to fly to their crusades that they do once a month, if they even do them once a month. And is, is there such a big necessity for them to have these luxurious airplanes? Well, here's the key. When he was there, he made a public statement about that. He said, years ago, my board made the decision that I should never fly commercial again. You know, basically like he's too famous and this and that, too much hassle, yeah. so he should never fly. So it was my board that decided that. But we got to back oh. up and say, who's his board? His board is all his other preacher buddies. They're on each other's boards. You know, John Hagee and Jesse Duplantis, they all get together, and they vote in all these big benefits packages and all these things. And, yeah, the board voted that, you know. And then they all go to the next one's board meeting, and they all vote the same stuff over there, you know. Yeah. They're, they're all – it's a good point. That their board is almost entirely their, – their preacher buddies who are all doing the same junk they yeah. are. Plus a few choice people that you know that that you know either business people, big donors, or or some. I happened to learn that one guy that used to be the sheriff of Tarrant County uh, here uh, in in you know the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, he was working for Copeland years and years ago as security. Um, later got fired, went to work for the uh, Tarrant County Sheriff's Department, and eventually ran for sheriff and got elected to sheriff. The moment he got elected to sheriff, he was put on the board of Copeland Ministries and because oh. uh, he's a sheriff. And they used him to get John Copeland out of numerous things because John at that time was a brawling drunk still, you know, out there just creating problems. So they'd call him up on his, you know, phone, all right, we need you at such such location, go pull out of this. And all that went fine for a while until he lost re-election and was no longer uh, the sheriff. The moment he was no longer sheriff, he was off the board. <laughs> oh. Now, is this, you're, ta- you're talking John Copeland. Now, that's Kenneth and Gloria's son. That's now, correct. Right, and you're saying that he had a he had a problem with alcohol. Was this before he got married, or, or uh, after no, he got married? No, no. I think they were married uh, during part of that time, at least. He was, yeah, he was, um, he was basically a, a 
uh, a honky-tonk, uh, drunken cowboy kind of guy, and he'd go out and just get drunk at these honky-tonks around the Metroplex and get in fist fights and all that, just a brawling nut. Yeah. And, um, and uh, all kinds of problems. And he's admitted that publicly, you know. It's not that's not news in that sense. And he was uh, yeah. he's admitted publicly he was doing cocaine and some other things too. But he was a character and a half. And so basically they were, uh, in the case of this particular sheriff, they, the, the the evidence would seem to suggest that his main value to them was to keep John out of prison, and to keep uh, and to keep their good name from being untarnished in the public media. Because uh, the moment he wasn't sheriff anymore, he was off the board. You know. Oh. Now, uh, also the um, the uh, children, uh, Kenneth's mm-hmm. daughter. I think she's she's on her third husband. That's correct. Keller's on her third husband. Kel, in fact, for that matter, Kenneth's on his third wife. Gloria's his third wife. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. we, you know, a lot of people don't realize Terry. Uh, Terry was born by his first wife. Ivy was her Ivy Sandra. And uh, Kenneth had a second wife in there, and uh, they, they had no children. He had no children by, uh, and somewhere in all that met uh, Gloria, and the, the overlapping time zones make it look very suspicious about when he met Gloria in there. But he meets Gloria, and uh, we've got a whole page of that with documentation from uh, Texas marriage records and uh, even court documents to show that uh, he was arrested and thrown in jail for at least a, a day. Uh, for not paying child support to cover uh, to take care of uh, Terry, his oldest daughter. But um, a lot of people out there just practically worship the ground this family walk on and think they're just absolutely perfect. But the reality is they're extremely dysfunctional. Uh, Gloria's side of the family, the niece family, is full of multiple divorces everywhere and marriage, remarriage, and crazy stuff. I mean, the whole family is one messed up family. But the public image is one of, you know, absolute perfection, the model family, you know. Yeah, well, that was the image. Of course, even back in the early 80s when I first became familiar with the Copelands, we never heard about the three, uh, the, the two divorces. We knew about one divorce. and They never really mm-hmm. talked about the fact that he was on his third wife. And yeah. uh, we know that people aren't perfect and they make mistakes, but at least tell the truth. Don't make it look like your family is perfect and you have this wonderful family and, and they're they're so spiritual. And, uh, of course, myself being behind the scenes a little bit on some ministries and you, 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 you live in this kind of Pollyanna world in the beginning where you don't want to think they do anything wrong. Y'all. You don't want to think mm-hmm. that, a, that a minister of the gospel actually commits adultery or uh, mm-hmm. gets a divorce, or their children do, do drugs. And then when you find these things out, it's so disheartening. But we do realize that, that people are human beings, and they do sin. But at least be honest about it. Don't try to cover things up and uh, pretend right. that you're something you're not. But uh, well, that's, And that's the key, too, pretending you're something you're not. I really believe when you look at fruit, and this is a big thing, and your listeners need to perhaps jump into Matthew chapter 13. Jesus himself said that there would be tares among the wheat, that there would be bad fish caught in the same gospel net with good fish, and that there are basically what have been called historically false converts or hypocrites or or, uh, pretenders. There are people that think they're Christians, Some, in some cases maybe know they're not, but profess to be Christians, who are not born again who are religious and they have a sense of religiosity about them. Uh, this was a big thing uh, in the early church. Jesus said it was going to happen. It's been a big thing throughout church history um, that uh, not everybody that claims to be a Christian or even a Christian minister has ever been born again. Uh, you know, in more modern history, we could, of course, look at Jim Jones as an example. That guy was yeah. never born again. Oh, he was yeah. never born again. But he claimed to be, the you know, a Pentecost, started off Methodist and, been Pentecostal preacher, but he was a nutcase, a demonized nutcase, and people followed him because he sounded so wonderful. Ooh. And that yeah. they were, you know, nearly a thousand of them were killed by poison Kool-Aid machine guns. So yeah. the people have to wake up to this, and this was a huge wake up, and that's why our website says so boldly in the tagline at the top. Now we're calling these people to get saved because the fruit, yeah. the fruit. Jesus said, "You judge the tree by the fruit." How do you know? 
if a person's born again. Look at their fruit. And right. the fruit is indicating these people have always been wolves in sheep's clothing. They've always been covetous. You look over in the first John, John's epistle, you know, John was called the apostle of love, but people take a close look at first John. Take a close look at third John. Everybody stops at third John verse two. I beloved I wish above all things that thou was prosper and being healthy, even as thy soul prospers. No, no, read a little further. <laughs> read, keep going. Yeah. And you're and you're going to discover he's naming a, a guy who is a false convert preacher who is evil according to John. And he's telling Gaius, the guy he's writing to, this guy's evil. Don't follow that. Switch up and go to Demetrius's church instead. He's actually telling the guy to switch churches. Over in yeah. 1 John, the apostle is gives in multiple spots, especially chapter 3, but throughout the entire epistle, it actually tests on how to test to see if somebody's a genuine Christian or not. And that right. goes against a lot of modern teaching that yeah. says don't question somebody's faith. But Again, then you go to Paul in the end of uh, of Second Corinthians. He is so concerned by the end of Second Corinthians about these crazy carnal Corinthians that he says, "Listen, you guys need to test yourselves to see the whether you're in the faith. That's Don't right. you know Jesus Christ is in you? Except you fail the test." So, the fact is, Jesus said it. Paul preached it. Uh, the Apostle John taught it. You can see it in Peter and Jude's writings. You see it throughout the New Testament. Not everybody that claims to be a Christian is born again. That's <laughs> just sure. a fact. And not everybody that claims to be a Christian minister is born again. That's and true. that's the case. That's where I feel I'm at with a lot of these guys. How could they speak the blasphemy and the weird doctrines they have if they were born again? Because First John 3 said they would have a tender heart the nature of God in them, the, the seed of God in them, they would not want to sin habitually. But these people, that's, that's right. their lifestyle. That's so their we lifestyle. have to look at the fruit. We have to that's look at right. the fruit. We have to look at the fruit. And we were t we were just uh, discussing before, and we have a few minutes left in the program, but I just wanted you to go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about the riches of the Copelands. Well, you know, the, the aircraft, of course, very high salaries. Um, you can actually um, uh, read in the Senate Finance Committee uh, report, and we have parts of it on our website under under a post called Kenicopa Ministries Lies Again. We have excerpts from it on there on kenicopablog.com. But you can actually read. Uh, they got a, ended up with a copy of Gloria Copeland's old employment contract. In other words, this is one that they was superseded by a new one, <laughs> which is even bigger. And the old one uh, is just amazingly lavish with regard to her compensation, her perks, the ministries to provide her a brand-new vehicle every two years at a minimum, and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, just massive, lavish lifestyle coming into very high. Between the two of them, we don't know the exact figures, but I have, uh, I've had more than one um, uh, whistleblower tell me that they that uh, that they have comfortable seven figure incomes coming in, plus the perks, plus bonuses. Now, here's an interesting thing: is the bonus thing. You hear them say, with response to Senator Grassley uh, talking about their use of their aircraft for private flying, for hunting trips and shopping trips yeah. and all in vacations, and they respond that we pay according to you know laws. We pay for the use of that aircraft of fair market value to fly those trips. Well, here's the truth. What they do is they don't pay directly. The ministry pays for it by giving them a bonus. They take a flight, and let's say the, the fair market value of that flight was fifteen grand, which is a short hop, by the way, in a jet. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to fly any distance, it's easy to chalk up fifty or hundred grand for the flying that thing. Um, if that's the fair market value, then the ministry pays them a bonus that just simply reverse engineers the taxes into it. Out of their pocket, they pay nothing to fly that aircraft. But wow. they get this bonus, so that comes out of donor money that funds these trips. So it's a shell game with the accounting. Again, I've got a certificate financial management from Cornell, and numbers can be manipulated. If anybody remembers the Enron scandal, they should know that numbers oh, can yeah. be manipulated. But and you said that you weren't at the house, but where is his house, and how big is it? It's um, uh, over 21,000 square feet under roof. 
Uh, it's on ministry property. It is supposedly the church parsonage, even though he's publicly now he's it's well, in the record. Parsonage, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's in the records now that that, that he is now the senior, he's the senior pastor of the church, even though he's publicly stated for years that he's no pastor. But that's the parsonage, and it's on property. It's tax exempt. Uh, essentially, the donors paid for that for the most part. Uh, wow. Of course, the gas wells popped up later and started funneling extra money. Into oh, so the they venues, actually but. have gas wells on their property? Oh, yeah, they've got gas wells all over that. They've got, uh, I don't remember the exact count, but I actually have it on a post on the website. I think it's 31 gas wells in total, somewhere in there. Wow. I've actually pulled the uh, pulled the records on it because that's public Well, he record. actually doesn't even have to take up any offerings anymore. Well, he claimed that in 2007 they had over $100 million come in. And so if you step back and look at all that stuff, if they just cut their salaries down, uh, cut back their perks a little bit, they could probably actually help somebody. <laughs> you know, they, you yeah, know, well, do, they actually, do they actually have any benevolence programs? They have, Are they helping uh, anybody? Are they really helping anybody? Well, they claim that 13% of their of the ministry income goes out to other ministries, all right? Uh, but uh, first question that begs to be answered is what do they do with the rest of that money, and that supports their their marketing machine and, and their aviation and all this other kind of stuff. But leaving that issue aside, even the 13%, uh, first of all, it's never been accounted for because they don't ha- they don't ever show their books, so that we have to sort of take their word for that. They're not transparent in the least bit with their with their accounting. But second of all, uh, that's a lie from the standpoint of what I call the shell game on their giving. See, they give to let's say Jesse Duplantis in a particular year. Let's say they give him a, his ministry a hundred fifty thousand at a KCM. Well, Jesse turns around and gives back to them a certain amount. They all do this like giving thing to each other. And yeah, each of them do, count yeah. that. They double account that. They count it under their contributions to other ministries on one hand to make it look like they're giving out to support all these ministries. And on the other hand, they count it as income for qualification if they ever get audited to show that they have sufficient uh, income coming in from donations to maintain their tax exempt uh, uh, status. So, yeah. again, even that's a shell game. They do support some small ministries. I know that because I know some of the ministries they've supported. But I would suggest that probably it's a very small fraction of that 13% that actually goes to genuine ministries around the world. They do support some. I do know that for a fact. But uh, but a lot of that 13% is just go, it's just being shelled around between them and their buddies. Yeah. Well, it, this this has been a very, very interesting program. It's good to have someone that had actually firsthand knowledge uh, being affiliated or a partner and getting to know Kenneth Copeland after 17 years and uh, someone that was there and uh, actually saw some of the things that uh, was going on. But uh, it, it's good, you know, Rich, that you came out of that uh, situation and you're better for it because uh, some people don't. They, they They see what's going on. They have their Bible in front of them and they know, the truth of God's word, but yet they don't want to leave the situation of, uh, it's very, socially, it's a good place to be there. You have friends, mm-hmm. and you have these wonderful connections, and you have to leave it all behind to take a stand for Jesus. And it's not always the easiest thing to do. So uh, I just want to thank you so much that uh, you've taken that stand for the gospel. And uh, we... We can't ever forget what Jesus Christ did for us, and it's worth it, every bit of it. Amen. 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 I believe that. I want to thank you so much for this wonderful program because I know so many people are going to be blessed. And um, I just want to close out, Rich, and I want to ask you to pray for the people out there that aren't born again and might need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, Father, we, we lift up anybody who is not born again that may listen to this broadcast, uh, We as well as those who think they're born again, but because they've never truly repented of their covetousness, which the Bible says is idolatry, because they, they hero-worship people like Kenneth Copeland and other ministers, uh, that they've never actually truly experienced the new birth, which, Father, according to your word and according to those the experience of those of us who have, this is a real genuine 
an experience, not a theology, not a, doc, a doctrine, but an actual event that changes a person from the inside outward. So, Father, we pray for these folks. We pray that you would open up their eyes to see the truth of your word, to see the purity of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, to see the holiness of your son in his manifested life on the earth and his substitutionary sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, and that they would realize that hypocrites and false ministers like the Jim Joneses, like the Kenneth Copelands, like these uh, Jesse DePlantis and these other people that are that are such blights upon uh, the history of Christianity that they aren't Christians. They are not examples of Jesus Christ. They don't live by his doctrines and precepts. Turn away from these folks, Father, and cause these people to turn to the truth of your Son, who is pure, who is holy, and who offers freely eternal life to them if they'll just simply repent, turn to God, put their faith totally in Jesus as their source of righteousness and salvation, and then follow through with that by living for Jesus and studying the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes, thank you for it. Well, Rich, it's great to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. And, thank uh, you so much I'll, for having me. I'll be in touch with, for a, a future program. Amen. God bless you and everybody listening to this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye-bye. God, God bless. Bye. We want to thank you all for tuning in today. And uh, our guest, Rich Vermillion, and his uh, website, again, is Kenneth Copeland Blog. Dot com. So please go over and uh, look at his website. Yeah, he has some great information for you. And uh, we do pray for the Copelands that they will truly be born again and born of the Spirit of God to uh, know Jesus Christ the way he really is. And so we want to thank you all for tuning in. Be blessed. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. He loves you. Bye-bye. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above Oh, I'm going to a city And it's set on a hill And someday I'll be in heaven And there'll be no sorrow there Oh, I'm going to a city It lies four square The gates are made of jasper And I'll see Jesus there I'm going to a city on a hill And someday I'll be in heaven And there'll be no sorrow